everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life through working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. I heard from one of our listeners, Margie, who shared that she is really enjoying listening and would also like to learn a little bit more about executive function skills and deepen her understanding of how they impact us. Well, Margie will get her wish today because for this episode, I got to have a conversation with Peg Dawson. Peg is an expert in the field of executive function skills and the co-author of Smart But Scattered, which she wrote with her colleague, Dick Guare. Smart But Scattered is one of the leading books on ADHD and executive function skills. I'll let her tell you more about herself and the work she does. But before I dive into her conversation, I wanted to share that you'll hear us mention the 11 executive function skills throughout the podcast. If you're not familiar with all of them, I thought it might be helpful if I did a quick review. But before I do that, I wanted to mention one other thing that you might find interesting and valuable. You can discover your own strengths and challenges when it comes to executive function skills by using the Executive Skills Questionnaire, which is a tool that Peg and Dick developed. At Beyond Booksmart, we also use this tool to help our clients measure their own executive function skills before and after working with their coach for some time. You'll hear Peg and I discuss the findings, which I have to say are pretty promising and definitely give hope to those of us who are forgetful, disorganized, or inattentive. Check out the show notes to find a link to this questionnaire. Okay, so back to that review of executive function skills I told you I'd share. Uh, If you already know them, you are welcome to skip ahead about three minutes and jump straight to my conversation with Peg. Okay, so here we go. Executive function skills are the skills that we use to get through or execute our days. These skills emerge and develop over the period of time from birth until about mid to late 20s. But like I just mentioned, it is possible to improve these skills beyond that age. I'm going to use Peg and Dick's list of executive function skills, which they have categorized into two groups, foundational skills and advanced skills. If you'd like to learn even more about these skills, please check out the resources in the show notes for today's episode. Okay, so first up are the foundational skills that are the first to emerge as kids grow. We've got response inhibition, and this is just a fancy way of describing impulse control. You know, being able to patiently wait your turn in the grocery store and holding back when you really just want to bag the guy's groceries for him because he is just taking too long. All right, next up, we've got working memory. And our working memory is what helps us hold on to information and then use it later on. And emotional control or emotional regulation. And that's the ability to manage and respond to our emotions in ways that are appropriate for the situation. And sustained attention is being able to stay focused on something that you're doing, even if you're distracted or bored or tired. And task initiation is just a big word that means getting yourself going on something, getting started. And cognitive flexibility, which is the last of the foundational skills, is also known as flexible thinking. And that's just being able to think of new solutions or being okay with last minute changes to plans. Okay, so those are the foundational skills, and next up, the advanced skills. And according to Peg, these start to emerge in most kids around middle school, but they don't really get a good handle on them until much later. 
Uh, first up, we've got planning and prioritizing, and this is being able to figure out a good way to reach a goal or complete a task. And organization is, well, exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, time management is the ability to estimate how much time something will take and also figure out the best way to stay within set time limits. Goal-directed persistence is basically just not giving up while you're working towards a goal. And metacognition is a very long word that means thinking about how we think. And this executive function skill helps us reflect on why we do what we do or don't do, and then use that reflection to come up with some ideas to help ourselves change. And the last EF skill, which I love, and Peg recently added to her list, um, is stress tolerance. And this is the ability to thrive in stressful situations and cope with change and uncertainty. Okay, so now that I've successfully used my ability to maintain attention to the task of reading that list, maybe you can use your working memory to remember some of these skills while you're listening to our conversation. And perhaps this episode will inspire you to use cognitive flexibility and metacognition to come up with some ideas for how you can have a positive impact on your own executive function skill development. Uh, all right, <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Okay, now on to the show. Hi, Peg. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners who don't know who you are? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Peg Dawson. Um, I worked as a school psychologist for many years in the public schools in Maine and New Hampshire. Uh, and then I, I went into a, a private practice with my colleague and ultimately my co-author, a guy named Dick Ware, Dr. Ware. Uh, and in that practice, we focused on kids and adults with learning and attention disorders. So I started working with kids with ADD in particular a whole lot more once I left the public schools and started working in a clinic setting. Uh, and as I worked with that population, I pretty quickly realized that the American Psychiatric Association's diagnostic criteria for ADHD, which is problems with attention or problems with hyperactivity, impulsivity, or both, really didn't begin to describe the problems I said these kids having. I saw huge problems with time management and planning and organization and those kinds of things. And I remember talking to my colleague Dick about it at the time. Uh, he and I both did our doctoral work at the University of Virginia, although we were there at different times. But he went on to do a postdoc in neuropsychology at Children's Hospital in Boston. So as I was describing these issues, he said, well, Peg, those are executive skills. <laughs> So this was the late 80s, early 90s, and people were not using that term much in those days. So he and I decided we really wanted to understand these skills better. What are they? How do they develop? What's going on in the brain? How do they impact school performance? And of course, most importantly, how do you help kids with weak executive skills become more successful students? So that's what led to our writing. We wrote a book for professionals first and then realized there was a huge role for parents in all of this. So that's what led us to write Smart But Scattered and more recently Smart But Scattered Teens. Um, we've written a book for adults as well called The Smart But Scattered Guide to Success. And we wrote a book on coaching um, quite a few years ago now, which we're just now revising. The, the revision should probably come out next year, I would guess. Um, so that's my domain. And in more recent years, I've, I've minimized my private practice and my clinical work and to emphasize doing webinars and trainings and, and professional development. So I work for some fresh professional development companies, but I also get invited by schools to come in and talk with teachers um, about executive skills. Um, 
And I teach an online coaching seminar every year, which attracts people from all over the world, actually. So, um, so that's, that's sort of where I ended up mostly doing professional development training, but all started from working with kids with ADHD with executive skill challenges. I love that. I love that trajectory. <laughs> How wonderful. And I'm sure that there are just so many people um, in your past that have been so positively affected by all the work that you've done. Yeah, no, I like to think so. I used to, when I was a school psychologist, my husband used to tease me about trying to save the world one child at a time. Uh, I think he was onto something. Once I, <laughs> but once I wrote books and realized, oh, I can reach lots of lots kids of by reaching their parents. So yeah, it, it feels like the, the work I've done has has stretched beyond saving the world one kid at a time. Yeah, well, I I um I have to say I I just I had heard about your book but I hadn't I hadn't read it. And I am I am in the middle of it right now and I my kids are 10 and 13 now and I sure wish that I I mean I I am using I am using it and going to use it. And I'm a coach so I know a lot of the strategies anyway, but yeah, I just I yeah. love how you presented everything and it just it it, I felt like it gave me a lot of permission as a parent to be um, okay with my own executive function challenges, my own, the skills that I am not so great at. Yeah. And it was really great to yeah. read that part. So if there's any parents listening right now and you feel like you're struggling with your own <laughs> executive skill challenges, I, I recommend um, Peg's book because it, it really has made me feel better. And, and like I said, my kids are a little bit older and I'm still, it's uh, yeah. still getting benefit from it. So. Um, yeah. Although I think my teenager could have also could have like co-authored the book with you. She's got she's got incredible executive skills. I don't really understand. But um oh, yeah, wow. it's it's but you know what's interesting is that I was looking um at how you break them down into uh, foundational skills and advanced skills. And um, and you're right. Like, she's really got the foundational skills down. And I was just telling my husband the other day, before I, before I learned about how you broke them down into the two categories, and I was telling him, like, well, she still struggles with, like, metacognition and cognitive flexibility. And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> because they just haven't developed yeah. yet. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really reaffirming to hear that. I, again, we used to talk about all eleven skills, and we talk about them roughly in the order in which we think they emerge developmentally. And then it's it finally dawned on me. No, there's a distinct difference between those advanced skills and those yeah. foundational skills. And I just find, it, particularly when I'm talking with with parents and teachers of, of middle school kids in particular, to tell them these skills are just emerging at this age. So let's understand that if you've got a kid who's struggling with planning or organization or time management, that is totally age appropriate. Because um, so many people have this sort of expectation that kids are going to be proficient at that age, and they're just not. So mm -mm. Yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, just in the most recent podcast episode that we released, I, it was a conversation that I had between um, the mom of one of my clients, um, just and me. And um, and she, I, when I met her, she was in uh, fourth grade and now she's in eighth grade and, and I've been working with her the whole time. And it's really neat to see, to see those executive skills emerging as the time has, has gone on. And also, you know, like just maturity and, and all yeah. that, that goes yeah. hand in hand with all of that. And, um, and, and just yesterday, she really, really, in our session yesterday, she really demonstrated that, that she's really moving into the, some of the more advanced 
advanced skills. It's exciting yeah, that's, to see. That's really gratifying to see. And yeah, you know, for yeah. for kids with ADHD, again, I'm always preaching patience to parents. I don't know how many both kids themselves as young adults, but also parents of kids uh, with ADHD when they reached young adulthood, who said, who said, you know, it wasn't till you know, they're, they're mid-20s, and it felt like this light went off, or we, the switch changed or something. And so that's why I'm always saying you can't judge your child at 14 and make assumptions or predictions for what they're going to be like at 24 or 25, because there are radical changes that occur in that time. And I think it gives some parents hope. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, like, what do you... what? Do you say to someone who feels like their child is never going to, you know, get to the point where they can X, Y, and Z, you know, how do you, how do you support parents who feel like they're not changing fast enough or they're not, you know, becoming what they want them to be fast enough? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things I say over and over again is if progress is measured in years and not months with these kids. Mm, and, yes, and in fact, I had a, yes. a school counselor who actually printed that, cut it, it printed it out, framed it, put it on the, her Ugh. wall in her office because so many parents, a middle school counselor, of course, so many parents coming in saying, why can't my kid do this, that, or the other thing? Uh, and so I sometimes say to them, think back a year ago. Mm. Can you see progress since a year ago? Because that's a more reasonable time frame than to look at the child six weeks ago and, and yeah. assume yep. that they're not moving fast enough. Um, because we're talking about, these are habits. Uh, I mean, I, I call executive skills habits of mind, but we know it takes a long time to acquire a habit. And that's under normal conditions when the brain is not still developing. So throw in a developing brain on top of it. And no wonder it takes time. Yeah, no wonder. That the progress is measured in years, not months, reminds me of the other saying, like, progress, not perfection, right? We're just, we're, we, nobody's, no one, even us adults, none of us are perfect in our executive yep. function skills, right? Yep. I'm sure that you you have some that you don't feel confident about, and oh, I know absolutely. I do, so. Absolutely, and I do, occasionally I do presentations for um, for adults or for companies in particular. In fact, um, my son works in North Carolina, and He's working in a in an organization that consults to textile co-ops, um, oh. and he, he asked me to come in and talk about executive skills uh, last week. And I mean, it was simultaneously translated into Spanish because half the people there were Guatemalan immigrants. Wow, how cool! And the other half were native English speakers. But everyone, you know, I just gave them the questionnaire. I said, talk about your strengths, how does that help you on the job? Talk about one of your challenges. How does that get in the way? And I had him think a little about, so what could you do to get better at it? But I've done this a couple of times with my son. He's worked for a couple of different companies. And each time he reports afterwards that people just feel much more comfortable talking about the things they struggle with. And it absolutely is true. And I have to say, this is where the work Dick and I did really opened our eyes. Because when we started writing and talking about executive skills, I think the general assumption was once you reach adulthood, your skills are, should be all evenly and well-developed across the board. Right. That's right. And as soon as we developed our questionnaire and started giving it out to audiences, we realized, no, that's not true. In fact, we could have just looked at ourselves. Um, yeah. And so I, 
I just, again, I find people sort of relax when they realize, oh, you mean I'm not supposed to be perfect at anything? That's more like the exception than the rule. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So um, the questionnaire that you're talking about, could you explain a little bit about that? It's in your, I know it's in your book. Um, and I know we used it here at Beyond Booksmart to, um, to have our clients kind of check in with their own executive skill development. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So there are a bunch of different versions out there. There are versions for adults, versions for parents and teachers to fill out on kids. And we have versions for kids to fill out. Uh, and so the original version, the one that's use the most identifies um, it had lists three items per executive skill and you it's a very simple rating scale to take because if you're doing it by hand you fill out the the items you figure out what's the total score for each and you look at your high scores those are your strengths you look at your low scores and those are your weaknesses um, the esqr which is the version that beyond book smart uses um, is a shortened version. It has 25 items, but they've been subjected to um, psychometric analysis to to make them the best measures they can be. And from that, although we talk about 11 different skills, it it really um, ends up that there are five primary skill sets uh, that all our items sort of fall into. Uh, And they, I think I can just give them quickly. It's, it's, um, plan management, time management, organization, behavior regulation, and emotion regulation. Um, And so this is now a survey which Beyond Booksmart uses. You can also find it at our website. You can actually take the the questionnaire on our website if you want to, which is smartbutscatteredkids.com. And we developed in part because we were hoping people would use it as a research instrument. I mean, it, we're using it cool. now both mostly to educate people and to help them learn about themselves and learn about their kids or their students. Um, but we really thought if we had something that was a little more psychometrically sound, then it could be used for research purposes. And that's what started happening in part because it's free. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. I get I get letters from people in India and people in Malaysia mm-hmm. asking to use it and can they translate it into their language? And so it's now gotten a lot of use. Um, and I think, and, and with some interesting results, in fact, the Beyond Booksmart results were as interesting as, as anything I've seen, in part because of what Beyond Booksmart did was they look, used it as a pretest and a post-test, so before mm-hmm. kids started coaching, and then after they'd been coaching for 16 weeks to look to see if there were differences. Did any of their, those five domains I decided earlier, did they get stronger? Um, and they found some really encouraging results, starting with elementary age kids. Um, and so they broke it down into elementary, middle, high school, college, and adults. And across the board, they found some uh, changes with some of the skills, not all of them, but they, they would be the skills you would expect to see change through coaching. So it's plan management and time management in particular, as well as the composite score, the total score changes as well. Um, but the other interesting thing, because I was just looking at the the, the report before I, we went on this podcast, so I was just looking at it again. And what I found was that this the strongest, the biggest impact is with college students and adults. I saw that too. So yeah. here's why I find this so encouraging, because people will say to me often, you know, I'm an adult, is it too late? 
Right, right. <laughs> Clearly, this says no, it's not too late. Yes. Um, and yes. I've just recently started, uh, I've been coaching, and I haven't coached for years, but I've been coaching a couple of adults with different issues. Um, mm. And it's just, it's been so much fun to see how quickly they can sort of grasp your ideas and yeah. your strategies and put them mm -hmm. into effect and report back to you. So yes. I know it's fun to coach kids, but it's really, I mean, those of us who coach adults find it to be really gratifying. Yeah, I, um, my, my Skyla, my, um, my now eighth grader, she's my only school aged client and all of my others, um, are college and adults. So I get the satisfaction of working with college yeah. and adult students. It's really fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. And a lot of them have sought out coaching, um, on their own. So they're yes. more, more motivated, which actually makes me think of something. If you, um, if, a little bit shifting gears, but I just had this idea. Um, if so, when 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 clients come to someone like me that you know mostly works with college and adult, they've sought it out themselves. They're not resistant to it because they they're oftentimes they're paying for it too, or they're you know they're investing their own time and their own you know uh, resources into it. Um, but some of these kids come in reluctantly um, and feel pretty frustrated on like having to work on their executive skills. And I'm sure you've had a lot of experience with kids who are not interested in making any change. Right. What do you, like, how do you support kids like that? And how do you support the parents of those kids? So uh, our coaching process, and, and we felt this from the start. I mean, it's been, it's evolved over the years, but right from the start, we felt like this has to be a voluntary process. This is not something where you can coerce a kid into to do. I mean, you might be able to make a kid go see a tutor. Um, and since the tutor is teaching academic subjects, uh, maybe the kid will realize oh, this will benefit me mm. um, because it's clear, you know, I need help in algebra. Here's the help. See, I do better on my tests. When there are executive skill issues involved, they tend to be um, not as clear cut to kids anyway. And they don't necessarily make a direct connection between my problems getting started on tasks and what I might do with a coach. And so kids tend to, so we, early on, we said, we have to sort those out. And, and, and if you're looking to coach a kid, step one is to make sure they're voluntarily participating. Now right. we have refined that over the years in that um, we found ways to persuade kids sometimes that coaching might be helpful. And our thought is, and good coaches are able to do this with many kids, that a reluctant kid, if they're willing to give it a shot for a few weeks, then they see the benefit and then they're on board. Yeah. And yeah. so as soon as you develop that good rapport with them. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, get their buy-in. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's something yeah. that I think Beyond Books part is particularly good at. I think that's an emphasis in, in how you your coaches work and maybe how your training goes is that, I mean, first of all, you try to match the kid with a coach that you think would be compatible. Uh, and, and then you work at that relationship and you recognize that that relationship is, we, especially with reluctant kids, is going to be the key. If that relationship clicks, it'll work. If it doesn't click, yeah. it won't work. Um, mm -hmm. We've started also just in the last couple of years, um, putting a greater emphasis on, on training our coaches to use motivational interviewing techniques. Mm, yeah, and okay. I mean, those are, 
and, and motivational interviewing is just what it says. It's it, interviewing in a way to help uh, the individual feel motivated to want to change. Uh, and, and so once you incorporate that into the coaching process, then that too helps you sort out who's a good candidate for coaching and who's not. Because as you go through that motivational interviewing process, if the kid keeps putting up roadblocks and you can't figure out how to get them to start taking down the roadblocks, then it's really probably a waste of time for, for the kid and a waste of money for, for the parent. Um, right. and, and so I think, and I, again, you probably do this to be on Bootstrap. We're, we're fairly, we recommend being fairly honest with parents up front both to try to assess from that. I remember a few years ago, I had an eighth grader come in to see me and, and uh, the parents uh, thought he wasn't doing as well in school as they thought he should be. And, and so they thought they came in to see whether I could recommend a coach for them. And my first question was, well, does your kid want to work with a coach? He's, oh, no, no, he's dead set against it. (laughs) So I I talked to the kid and I found out what his goals were. He had some goals. So I sort of began the coaching process with him. Like, what grades would you like to be earning? What do you think you need to do differently to earn those grades? Um, And what we ended up, and then then, since I knew he didn't want to work with a coach, um, I, I said, so you think you need to bring your grades up. I've got a process for that, but you probably can't do it alone. You're going to need help from someone. So your mom could help you study for tests <laughs> or he, this kid was identified. He had a resource room teacher or your resource room teacher could help you study for yeah. tests. He said, yeah. okay, I'll go yeah. with the resource room teacher. He really didn't want the mom involved at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I contacted the resource room teacher and said, I've got this great template for studying for tests. Are you willing to do this with this kid? And she said, sure, absolutely. So the deal I made with the kid was that if he brought his grades up to the level he wanted them to be, and it was ABs and he was capable of that. Um, at the first marking period, at the first progress report, we would look at his grades, and if he had met his goal, I would not make, recommend. A, I would not give the parents the name of a coach. Ah, <laughs> and then at, I love the, it. at the end of the marking period, again, if his grades were where we wanted, I still wouldn't give the parents the name of a coach. I mean, the ironic thing was, the resource room teacher was his coach, yes, and that was right. basically what she was doing. But yes, his, in yeah, his mind, a yeah. coach was someone he would have to meet outside someone of school else. on his own time. Right. Or a stranger. An and he didn't thing. Know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so that's, you know, so again, sometimes we can make deals with kids to, to have that, but it won't last over time if they're really not invested. I mean, the deals will right. work for a short period of time, but they won't work over right, time. Right. It reminds me the idea of just meeting people where they are and, um, and that you can't, you know, what is that like leading a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Um, and it just, I was thinking in your book, I loved how you, um, how you talked about how, um, instead of trying to impose these things on the kids, then it just set the situation up for them to find some success and, um, and for you too, as the parent to find some success and, um, and just kind of meeting the kid where they where they where they are at that time, yeah. and I think just as humans, that works really well for all of us, even adults. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm always struck by how. So every year I I train. Well, I have this past year I had 50 people sign up for my coaching seminar. Probably about 25 of them were were real um, invested participants, and and uh, so they did all the homework and they did they coached a kid and they gave me feedback and I'm always struck by for some of these and many of the people taking my coaching class are teachers. So they're used to being Mm. in the classroom and they're used to being in charge and telling kids what to do. 
And when the light bulb goes off and they say, whoa, it works a whole lot better when the kid is the one who's making the goal and the kid is the one who's deciding how they're going to, yeah. what strategy they're going to use. So yeah. that it's always, yeah. but it feels like we don't do that with kids enough. We don't um, empower them to mm-hmm. understand that they can change and that they can take control um, and that they can be effective. Yeah, somewhat related, but just the idea of empowering kids. I teach sewing lessons and some of the parents I talk to are surprised to find out that the kids are going to use real sewing machines and real needles and real irons. And, you know, they could get poked and they got to be really careful. And I don't know if it's this day and age, but I do find that it seems like parents are afraid and like they want to protect their kids. So it often ends up that the kids are not being challenged with opportunities to learn these real skills. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it's so interesting. I've, uh, my son sent me this amazing uh, map a few years ago that was printed in some British magazine or newspaper, which showed three or four generations of uh, one family in, in England, somewhere in the middle of England. And it basically showed um it drew a circle around the area in which each generation at the age of seven was allowed to travel on their own. And it went from this giant space, like seven miles for the grandfather. Whereas, you know, the the current generation, it was this tiny little space. Okay. You can walk across the street. Yeah. Across the street. Yeah. yeah, We've definitely. um, And I, I actually blame the fact uh, that there's so much media attention. Anytime something goes wrong. Yes. It's that. And I and know. so we all have this catastrophe right. in our head that we think is just waiting mm-hmm. to happen to our kid. Um, yep. And it's cognitive distortion has a powerful grip on yeah. our head, on our yeah. brains when we yeah. are exposed to so much media. My son is actually walking home from school by himself today for the first time. <laughs> How old <laughs> so is he? It's three quarters of a mile. He's 10. Yeah. It's three quarters of a mile. He's in fourth grade. He's got a great sense of direction. So I know he'll be fine. So I have uh, my my younger son lives in Japan and uh, they have a oh, son wow. who's seven and starting at age. So when he was in first grade, he switched, he went switched from a international school to a Japanese school mm, starting so cool. in first grade. He, they, they shaped it gradually over time, but he now uh, walks to the train station, takes the train, gets off one train, gets on another one, gets to the school, takes a bus to the school. He does that all independently. And we visit, we've been in Japan several times and it's amazing, you know, seven o'clock at night and you see these tiny little kids on the subway because they've gone to after school, after school. Yeah. uh, And they're going home by themselves. So it's such a You did that here or someone would call the cops on you. Yeah. It's, it's such, I mean, then you see the cultural influence. um, Yeah. Actually on executive skill development, uh, you know, among other things, it's what we allow kids to explore. Uh, and to experience because executive skills don't have to be explicitly taught if we give kids the opportunity to learn them as they interact with their world and their environment. Yeah, I spend, so my my client Skyla, um, you know, over four years, many of our sessions were just us talking and me modeling you know, modeling cognitive flexibility or modeling um, how I was going to plan my day. And I never said, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how you should do it. Mm-hmm. And I just hoped that, you know, that, that, that what I was trying to teach her was getting through yeah. and it takes a long time, but you're truly meeting them where they are yeah. when you do it that yeah. way. You know, you're yeah. not 
forcing anything on them. Yeah. And that's what I love about, about how executive skills can be taught to anyone in, with any, um, by any means, you know, like for kids, it makes sense. Okay. Like let's practice some skills with schoolwork because that's the work that you do. That is, you know, how you, what you do to get through your day, you know, you do schoolwork. Um, and then, so for adults, you know, you can, you know, their job or they're managing their home or something. And I, I just, I love that. I love that about it. It's yeah. I also think skills that, to learn. that when we explicitly label the skills for kids or for adults, that can actually speed up the learning process. So I get mm. one of the women I'm, uh, or one of the people I'm coaching now is a woman very bright in her forties, I think who she's got some medical issues. So she's out of work at the moment, trying to work her way back into work, grew up with an attention disorder now went to an Ivy League college, obviously worked really hard, but she ended up with this residual sense of she can't do things as well as other people can. Mm. Um, and so when we meet, Whenever I can, I point out that's, you know, that's metacognition and that is one of your strengths. In fact, that's probably what got you to the level you're at in your job is that, and she just needs to hear that because she just thinks of herself as being terrible at task initiation, terrible at time management, terrible at planning. I'm saying, yeah, but let's look at flexibility. Let's look at at metacognition. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, that always makes me think, I mean, I, I think in every conversation that I've had for this podcast, the top, the idea of confidence has come up and how working on executive skills really can boost your confidence. And for her, hearing that about her metacognition probably had a positive impact on her, on the other areas that she feels right. like she's weak in. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I think it yeah. did. Because if you're good at metacognition, you can get planning eventually. <laughs> Because yeah, right. it's such a huge <laughs> yeah. component of metacognition and planet. So, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that makes me think about this idea of like, you know, I was just going back to parents and their own kids. And I feel like so much of the um, information out there, articles that you read and, you know, knowledge out, that's out there is for kids and executive skill development, because of course, kids kids frontal lobes are still developing you know we just they just they're not there yet but you know just because like you said before just because we're adult adults doesn't mean our you know we're like perfect at everything um so for parents that have areas that they struggle with like do you recommend that they work on their own along with their children's executive skill development? I've had some parents do that very effectively. I mean, b- both parents will sort of share, the parent will share the profile with the kid. And whether it's a, a, they're struggling with the same executive skill or a different one, if they both agree they're going to tackle whatever their challenge is, um, then the, the kid feels like they're not the only one you know, putting in all the work here. And several years ago, I saw a kid from the UK and it is, and uh, I'd, I'd met um, the coach who was working with him at the time in the UK, but they spent their summers in Maine. And so he arranged, they arranged for the kid to come and be evaluated by me. He was 14. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so I had him take the executive skills questionnaire and he said, have you, have you given this to my dad? Because the dad was the one who brought him. And I said, no, I said, oh, I want my dad to take this. (laughs) 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 
And so, you know, that ended up being a great conversation when I had the, at the end of the session, brought the dad in and they could talk about, because the kid, I mean, if you ask any kid, they can probably tell you once they understand executive skills, what the dad's strengths and weaknesses are. Oh yeah. Um, But I do have, you know, a piece of advice that I give. And when I first started giving this to, to parents or anybody in my workshops, I, you know, I, I thought it was kind of whimsical. I thought, well, it's worth a shot. I don't know whether this will work or not, but I'll throw it out there. And so what I started building into my workshops is what I consider the perfect intervention for executive skills. And this really helps um, adults who are dealing with their own executive skill challenges. Because I, again, I get that question from parents all the time. I have the same issues. You know, I'm not consistent. I can't, I can't maintain an intervention over time. So what can I do? So here's the perfect intervention. The perfect intervention is for executive skill development. And there are two pieces to it is one that takes no more than five or 10 minutes a day uh, and that you're willing good. to do forever. Ah, <laughs> so those two go, okay. those two go <laughs> hand in hand. If it took more than five or 10 minutes a day, you couldn't keep it up. Um, no, and I can no. guarantee you it won't take forever, but I can also guarantee you it'll take longer than you think it should. But that doesn't mean you yes. double the amount of time. No, it, it really. And so once I started talking about that, then I had all these parents sharing with me. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I put in place a getting ready for school routine with my kid on the spectrum. I started in first grade. He's now in seventh grade. He's following that routine completely independently. It took six years, but he's there. And then I thought about how I got my own son. I have a son with ADHD who's, um, he's now in his 40s. But I thought about how I got him through high school. And that was every day when he came home from school, I asked him two questions. What do you have to do? When are you going to do it? It was a five-minute conversation. And as an adult. That's exactly what I ask my son every day. (laughs) As an adult, he still tells me that's how he basically plans his day. What do I have to do? When am I going to do it? I love that. And so it really if, you ha- if you're willing to play the long game and you're willing to be patient, so now we're going back to patience again, um, then putting in place an intervention that you consistently follow five minutes a day for as long as it takes, it, yeah. it pays off. It really does pay off. It reminds me of I'm 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 also reading at the same time um, Atomic Habits by James yep, Clear, yep. and he is he says you know if you just like do one percent every day, one you're eventually just going to get better at it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so it yeah it reminds me of that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be some grand, yeah. huge overhaul. And in fact, we know if you do the grand huge overhaul, it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. It might look pretty for a day, but. <laughs> It's not yeah. going to work. I mean, look, I, and then you're going to feel bad about yourself yeah, exactly. for not being able to exactly. do it. I mean, looking back on yeah. my own sons, who neither were great students in, in uh, middle school and high school. I, I, with each of them, I put in one relatively elaborate uh, system to get them to change. You know, it was like offering them rewards for... Oh, I remember my younger son was starting his homework before nine o'clock at night and not complaining about it. And if he could go for six weeks and I gave him a point for each one of those. And when he could go for six weeks, if he had this many points, then he could buy the video game he wanted. That worked really well. I could never redo it, though. I remember when he was like a junior in high school and I said, Isaac, can we work out a system where, you know, you can earn something you want? And he he looked at me and he said, Mom, I got to want to do it myself. I mean, that just basically, (laughs) so what can you say to that? I had to back off. (laughs) He was saying, you can't force me. I got to want to do it myself. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. (laughs) 
And well, that's great that he, I mean, that shows, right? His metacognition. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. But he knew what worked and what didn't yeah. work for him. Do you have any questions for me? So how long have you been coaching? I started coaching in 2017 mm-hmm. with Beyond Booksmart. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yep. And I had like a kind of a similar job um, before. Um, I worked at a community college and the Office for Students with Disabilities, and I helped kids take advantage of the services that they were, that were, um, you know, that were given to sure. them for whatever accommodations that they needed. Sure. So that's where I discovered my love for working with college kids. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. so over the yeah. years since yeah. you started coaching, what, how, how has that practice evolved for you? I mean, mm. what is, what is, that's such a great question. And I know exactly how it has evolved. I have learned to trust the process and I have learned to trust my relationship with the client and that, um, and that if they trust me and, um, if I just relax and let go and let it happen naturally, that's where we're going to have the most success. And I remember when I first started coaching, feeling like, like I put this pressure on myself to like, you know, teach a new, new strategy in each session and, you know, and like have some kind of evidence of, you know, of, of improvement. And now I realize, um, looking back on it, like I was looking for really grand evidence and all I needed was these little tiny, tiny shifts that, um, are actually the nuggets of gold that you're looking for. And that's when, you know, okay, now I can maybe push a little harder, ask for something else. Um, and I think I was just, expecting it to go faster, even though I had learned and I knew from my own kids and from myself that, that it takes a really long time and that it's not like a, it's not like a switch that happens. Um, so I would say like for me, mostly that's what I've learned, which has been good for my mental health because I used to really put a lot of pressure on myself if my clients, if I didn't feel like my clients were making enough progress, um, quickly enough. And, uh, and so I'm much more relaxed yeah. now as yeah. a coach and I think I'm a better coach right, for it. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. there is the, one of the dangers of wanting to see that kind of progress in whoever you're coaching is that that person feels that, that pressure as well. Um, yeah, and pick up on it. In, in my experience, that's when they start lying. <laughs> that's, yes, that's when right. you say, so did you follow your plan? They said, oh, yeah, I followed it. <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> but they you know didn't want to make you feel yeah. bad. So That's right. Yeah. I shouldn't admit this, but one of my first clients, he lied to me and his parents for an entire semester that he was doing well in school. Yeah. And he got a D in one class, but the rest he was failing. Yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah, you really, you, th- you have to suss it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of that comes down to just trust. Yeah. I think one of the coaches yeah, that, yeah. that I trained and that I get together with frequently by Zoom, and she says, she, one of the things she makes clear to kids is this is a no blame zone and a no shame zone. And yes, so yes. if you communicate yep. that in a way that the kid trusts that, that you're honest about that, then they're going to be mm-hmm. able to come in and say, yeah, I was intending to do that, but I mm-hmm. didn't. So that's what I started doing. Um, 
I think probably around the time that 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 happened with that student, I started telling every time for the first few few sessions, just to remind them that this is a judgment free yeah. zone. And I and if I ask a question, it comes out of completely out of curiosity. Oh, that's a nice way of talking no about it. No judgment. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no judgment yeah. at all. Yeah. And it's hard, I think, like inside, right? We just naturally judge people. We have to for survival. You know, it's like a thing that we've just evolutionarily like have done like for thousands of years. And I think that it's, you just like, we know internally we're judging people whether we want to right. or not. Right. That bias is just there. Um, and so we know that we're doing that. So we kind of might assume someone else is doing it too. Right. And so it's hard. It's yeah. hard to learn to trust someone that you can really be honest with them, yeah. especially like if there's an age difference, right? Mm -hmm. So if like, if so it's, oh, like, are you just another parent right. or, or can I actually truly trust yeah. you? Not that they can't trust their parents, yeah, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that's just so important. And I guess with any relationship, right? Any relationship that you develop with anybody is, is yeah. developing that trust. Um, cool. Well, what, if you could choose one thing for people to take away from all the work that you've done over the course of your, your career, what would it be if it's possible to choose <laughs> one? Well, I, I guess the message I want, I want, people to understand it and this may be more for teachers and parents but I think it, it, there's some overlap there is that executive skills are the skills that support learning and if we don't peel away the the surface learning to understand the skills that require that are required to get there then we're missing the opportunity to to help kids understand the learning process better um, and so that combined with, it takes time, progress is measured in years and not months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are, the, those are yeah. the two things. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's a really hard, it's, it's hard. I think, I mean, I, I were, if I could guess, I bet that's the, the biggest part that's hard for people is that making any kind of change. I mean, if you, even if you're just exercising, like I'm training for a half marathon right now and it takes, I always take a break in between races and I always take so long to get back into it. And, and even though I know, like I know because I've done it before, I've done it so many times before, I know I'm going to get there. It is still so hard to just relax and say, it's okay, Hannah, yeah. it, it's going to happen. You're going to be able to run 13.1 miles, yeah. but it's hard to trust that. And so, especially when it's your kids, you just want them to be successful in the world and you don't want to have to worry about them and you don't want to have to a friction with them. And you just want them to be what be themselves yeah. in, in, you know, in, in, in a successful way. And it's so hard to, to, just trust that eventually that'll happen. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's also made harder by the fact that unfortunately school emphasizes getting things right as opposed to getting things. Yeah. You know, we're not focusing on learning. We're, we're focusing on passing tests and not making mistakes. And we all know that's not the way you learn. You learn from your mistakes. And so, and I, my guess is if we looked at all the education systems out there, the ones where, where 
kids are at the top in terms of how, how they're acquiring academic skills, it's those where that's what teachers are emphasizing. That, yeah. I mean, so yeah. for instance, oh, sure. in Japanese schools, they might teach math by giving kids a tough math problem to do that's just at the limits of their understanding of math. Mm. They put them together in a group and they can say, okay, now solve this problem. And they check in on them mm. periodically, but there's no stress that you got to get it right. It's, can you figure right. out the process? And it's just, I, I, I yeah. think that's one of my biggest um issues with how American education, and it's not just American education, a lot of education systems. But that's what you know, because you live here. Yeah. My my kids are both going through standardized testing right now, like today, as we speak. And it's really stressful for them. And they're both good students and, and they don't find school difficult. But the the act the the action of being yeah. tested yeah. is stressful, yeah. especially for my son. He is very concerned about getting it right. Yeah. And and I've we've told him so many times, you know, we don't care. We, you know, we don't if it's if it's stressful for you, we don't want it to be stressful for you. You just go in and do your best. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard for him. And it just oh, it just kills yeah. me to to see them going through that. So do you have anything that you're excited about that you'd like to share with everyone? No, I just, I, I guess, I mean, I'm 72 years old. So the question is, when am I going to retire? <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. And, and my husband's already retired. So he keeps talking to me about, so Peg, when are you going to retire? And, and I guess the fact that I'm still working just tells you that I'm excited about what I'm doing because I don't need to be working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am planning for retirement and I am trying to think about, so how, how can what I've done continue without me so that when people write and say, can you do this? I say, no, I'm retired now. <laughs> yes, but I have this fabulous person who exactly. can do it for you, for me. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what a legacy you're, you'll, you'll leave when you are able to transition into yeah. that period of your life. <laughs> so, and where can our listeners find you and your work? So we have a website, smartbutscatteredkids.com. Um, and so there are a number of resources on that website, as well as links to um, some trainings I've done. Uh, there's a parent, uh, a one hour so maybe a little over that, a one-hour parent presentation that I do that was recorded uh, when I was in San Diego last year, which they didn't. I watched uh, that. They, they, it was yeah, great. Didn't they do a I nice job it. of editing it? I was usually. They really yeah. did. It was so yeah. good. It was classy, yeah. classy yeah. production. I was impressed. <laughs> and you looked so. great and you sounded great. <laughs> it was really interesting. <laughs> um, and in fact, if, it, yeah. if possible, I'd like to put a link from my website to yep. Beyond Booksmart for this interview so that because that's another way that yep. people could could uh yep discover uh, yeah for our listeners I'll put everything I'll put everything in the show okay, notes good. um so you can find Peg and everything that she's done and definitely watch that presentation that she's talking oh, good, about thanks it's high quality good <laughs> yeah. stuff <laughs> great all right well thank you so much yeah, Peg. thank you this was fun <laughs> and that's our show for today I really hope you found something useful in my conversation with Peg, and I hope that you learned something that you didn't know about executive function skills. I'm truly so glad you're here and that you took time out of your day to listen. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode on our website and subscribe to the podcast at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We send out an email after every episode with links to resources and tools we mentioned. And if you have a minute, please help us out by sharing our podcast with your friends. 
Thanks for listening.